what you're thinking. When did we start using male models uh, in our videos? I, uh, <laughs> if you have your Bible with you, why don't you open up to Matthew 5 or your smart device, go to Matthew 5 uh, in the Bible app. Actually, if you go to the Bible app and you go to the events tab on the YouVersion Bible app, uh, you'll find us there. Our notes for this morning are there. Uh, and if you don't have that or if you want to, if you like to fill in the blanks, we have the notes for this morning here as well. Uh, hey, this is your first time here. Thanks for being here. And we do have a gift for you right over here. We'd love to give you, um, this is our way of saying thanks for being with us, for worshiping with us, and also as a way to, uh, you know, bribe you to come back. So, uh, because we're not above that at all. Uh, This morning, we're finishing a series that we hope has helped you connect with God. Uh, And by understanding that the best place, right, the best place for us to find God is when we get to the end of me. When I get to the end of me, when you get to the end of you, we can most clearly see what God is doing because he's just, he's just right there. And our small groups have been walking through this as well. So I hope that not only has it helped you connect better in your relationship with God, but it has helped you connect better in your relationship with, uh, with your group uh, as well. So in Matthew 5, if you have your Bible open, you'll see that Jesus uh, starts his most famous sermon with some of his most famous statements uh, that we have called the Beatitudes. And we've been looking at them over the last couple of weeks because they, uh, in these, we find in, in his words here and following, we find what Jesus says is the best way to live our life. And they each start with a blessing. And these statements give us a glimpse into some of the core values of Jesus's kingdom, and they all have to do with coming to the end of ourselves. And so check this out in Matthew chapter five, uh, verse three, Jesus uh, says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God or, or uh, literally, oh, the blessedness of the pure in heart. Now uh, on your notes at the very top, You'll see this quote, and it's kind of a warning, just so that you know, right? I want to make sure you know this. This life Jesus is inviting us to is not just countercultural. In other words, it doesn't just go against what we see in culture. It's counterintuitive. When you read some of these things that Jesus says, for instance, what we're looking at this morning, the idea of, of being pure in heart, when you see that, when you look at that, you may think to yourself, that doesn't, even, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound right. How can that be right? So what does it mean, by the way? So to to live this counter-cultural, counter-intuitive way, what does it mean? How does it bring me to the end of me to say pure in heart? There are two words in in that verse that I want to point to specifically that when we understand them, what Jesus is saying will become crystal uh, clear to us. And the first word is the word pure. So on your notes, what you're going to see is this, that that we've got three meanings for the word pure, right? Uh, And so they all add to the idea of this beatitude. And the first one is that this word pure means clean. And so when I say that, it can be used of clothes that have been dirty and are now washed. Uh, It can be used of dishes that were used for dinner and have now uh, been put in the cabinet. So I just want to ask you this, though. How many of you have been to a restaurant and you picked up a plate that looked clean, but the moment you held it up and you kind of the light hit it differently, you realize it's not nearly as clean as it looked or or you unwrapped your silverware uh, to discover it had a piece of someone else's dinner on it. Have you ever done that? I'm also just trying to test your gag reflex this morning. Uh, 
How many of you have ever unloaded the dishwasher before it was run? Someone had rinsed the dishes, they looked clean, and now you have to remember what you just put away, right? Or hope no one saw you, right? One or the other. It's, it's one or the other. Either is fine. It's, listen, the idea that Jesus is talking about with this word, with this meaning of the word is of, of something being clean, not just looking clean. Does that make sense? When the inside and the outside match up, Jesus is saying, part of what Jesus is saying is you're pure in heart. When that happens in your life, when the inside and the outside match, you're pure in heart. You're right where Jesus wants you to be. That word pure also carries the, undi- the idea of being unmixed. In other words, impure things, bad ingredients are not mixed into your heart. Proverbs 11 says, the Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. I want to make sure you notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he delights in those who are perfect. He delights in those who are sinless. That's not what he says. He delights in those who have integrity, right? Uh, it, It says that when you don't try to hide what you have that even you know you need to get rid of. You know it's in there and you know it needs to go and you're not trying to hide it. That's what that means. Okay, one more word. The word pure, if you're taking notes, also means sincere. The word pure means sincere. When Jesus speaks of a pure heart, he's talking about one that is honest and has no ugly hidden places in it. And I want to be very clear about this as well. I'm not saying that there aren't any little ugly hidden places in our hearts. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're just not trying to hide them. Does that make sense? We ask Jesus to help us get rid of them. We don't try to hide them just so no one can see them. John Stott said this, yet how few of us live one life and live it in the open. We're tempted to wear a different mask and play a different role according to each occasion. This is not reality, but play acting, which is the essence of hypocrisy. And then the rest of this quote is on your notes. Some people weave around themselves such a tissue of lies that they no longer can tell which part of them is real and which is make-believe. Pure in heart means that what you are on the outside is who you actually are on the inside. In other words, right, you're not faking it. Pure in heart means that I'm not, what you see is actually what you get. You're not trying to look like something that you're not. And we, you know, part of the reason we don't want people to see the real us is because we know that inside of our lives, we've got some messed up stuff going on inside of our lives. And we we still want people, we still want people to know about that. Or, or, or it's the fear of exposure, right? That that's keeping us from being authentic. We, we don't mind our strengths being exposed. We don't mind our capabilities being exposed. We don't mind all the good things about us being exposed. But what we don't want people to find out is our weaknesses. What we don't want people to know about is our insecurities. We don't want our inadequacies on display for anyone to see. And here, but here's, so the truth is that nobody has it all together. No, take a look around the room. None of us, no one in this room has it all together. And so the question is, why are we still pretending? First Corinthians, when Paul would write to the church in Corinth, he said, no one really knows what anyone else is thinking or what he is really like, except that person himself. I mean, the reason it's easy to fake it is because nobody really knows what's going on inside of you. In the entire universe, 
There's only one who fully understands you. And by the way, that's not you. It's God. I mean, sometimes we don't even understand ourselves, right? You ever thought that? Why did I just do that? We don't even understand ourselves. And if you want to build a meaningful, deep, satisfactory, intimate relationship, you're going to have to let other people see your weaknesses. There is no way around that. If you're going to have a real relationship, listen, we can impress people from a distance, but when we get up close, they begin to see our warts. They begin to, to see our mistakes. And we don't like that. There's a pastor in Florida, his name's Steve Brown, and he tells a story about himself. There's a woman who came up to him after service and said, preacher, I like you. You know, all of the preachers that we've had have told us that they're sinners. You're the first one I believed. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, if, if there's anybody here who thinks that just because we're on staff, because we're pastors, that we're, that we're better than someone else, you evidently have not spent time with us, right? And for sure you're not talking to our spouses, all right? Jesus wants us to be sincere, to be authentic in a way, in the way we interact with other people and the way we interact with God. Because motives matter. And being real with people is more important than looking good because it's hard to build deep relationships if you're always pretending. And when we stop pretending to be, God can actually help us to be. Does that make sense? When we stop pretending to be something, God can actually help us become that thing. And it's hard to build relationships when you're pretending. Getting to the end of me means I am not interested any longer in performing for other people. Getting to the end of me means that I'm no longer interested in faking it because I understand that God is looking for the real me when I stand before him. Judd Wilhite is a pastor from Las Vegas, and uh, he said that many people, when they think of the church, three words come to mind, the words believe, behave, belong. That they think, when they, when they think of the church, they think that they have to believe certain things before they can start coming, and then they have to behave certain ways uh, and then they, then they can belong. If you believe the right things and then behave in a certain way, then you can belong uh, in the church. But Judd said that that's actually turned around the way it should be, is we should uh, read that as belong, uh, believe, behave. Because the first thing you have to discover about the church is that we will accept you just the way you are. You, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody here. You are valued for who you are at this moment, exactly as you are. And you belong here with us because God loves you. And he died for you, just like he loves us and died for us. I'm not talking about church membership at this point. What I'm talking about is being in a place where you are embraced and you are loved and valued for who you are. And then over time, you build those relationships and you begin to believe what the Bible teaches because you're learning about it in a friendship relationship type thing, and you learn what the church stands for, and as your thoughts and your attitudes and opinions begin to change, you start to behave differently because your thought process is changing. Listen, belong, believe, behave. You do not earn your way into the church. We, we just want to welcome you with open arms and then help you discover why we believe God's word and why we need it to shape our lives. Of course, we believe in accountability. Of course we do. We believe in upholding the truth, but we're all in this together. Here's why this is such a big deal. Authenticity pre precedes relationship. 
And if, if, you don't, if you don't get, listen, you've got to get this. Authenticity precedes relationship with God and with people. And until you get that, you're never going to have a real relationship with anyone. Not with the people around you, in your family, where you work, where you go to school, your neighborhood. You'll never have a real relationship with any of them. And you'll never have a real relationship with God until you get this that you need to be honest with him. Until we decide to be authentic, we can't have those meaningful relationships. We can have pseudo-relationships, but we'll never have deep, life-impacting relationships. And that goes, again, for our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Listen, here's the deal. God already knows everything there is to know about you and me anyway, right? And if we keep coming to him, trying to fake it, trying to act perfect, refusing to see our own imperfections when we come before him, what that means is our relationship with God is going to be about that deep. And that's, all, that's how comfortable we'll be with him. You cannot have a healthy relationship with God until you stop pretending, until we come to him with honesty and invulnerability. And it goes for our relationship with others too. Listen, we can have a lot of shallow relationships, surface friendships, but it takes authenticity. No pretending, no covering up. We have to be able to go deep and to have profound relationships, which is why, by the way, I love uh, those who are really working on that here at MCC. Matter of fact, we have a small group that they've got to talking about that. And some of you have already seen this shirt before several months ago, but they designed a shirt that says MCC small groups, bring your ugly, right? Because we're not trying to hide it. So we just bring it with you. Uh, We're all going to recognize it because God, listen, God wants us to be real with people, to help them when they hurt to love them when they're down, to weep with them when they weep, and to rejoice with them when they rejoice. He also wants us to be real with him, to acknowledge our sins in front of him, and to be honest about our failures. Because when we do that, that's when we can ask him for help in these areas of our lives. Authenticity precedes relationship. It's hard to have healthy relationships if nobody knows who you really are. Okay, there's one more word. In Matthew 5, 8, when you look at, the, at this verse, it's not just the word pure, it's the word heart. And so if you would, if you just circle those two words, if you haven't yet, just circle those two words on your notes. Your heart pumps blood uh, that keeps you alive. You know, if you've never, if you didn't know this, you are about to learn something that, you know, really, we should have learned this in elementary school, probably. Uh, your heart is about the size of your fist. Did you know that? So if you double your hand up, take a look, that's about the size of your heart. Uh, it pumps blood that keeps you alive. And even though you can't see it, the secret to your health is, uh, is in your heart. And even though you can't feel it, your heart propels oxygen and nutrients through 60,000 miles of arteries and capillaries and veins. And when you go to see the doctor, even if you're not experiencing any kind of chest pains or anything, what is the first thing your doctor does? Yep. Actually, the first thing they do is they pull the stethoscope out of the freezer, and then they come in to see you. And then they check your heart and they will count the beats and they will listen for noises and sounds. Your heart is the source of your life. When it hurts, you could possibly be in trouble. When it's blocked, you need attention. And when it stops beating, you are done on this earth. Listen, we we know how important the heart is. It's very expressive in our language. As a matter of fact, when, when, someone, uh, when someone has no compassion, we call them what? Heartless, right? Our deepest pains are called what? Heartaches, right? A jilted lover has a broken heart. Someone who is courageous is 
brave-hearted. When we want to show the full depth of our love, we say, I love you with all of my heart, right? If we don't really want to do something, we call that a half-hearted attempt, right? I mean, look at all these words. We recognize the importance of the heart. So does God. Look at what Proverbs 4 says. Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from your heart. Everything you do. Boy, there are a lot of things we watch over. If you have children, you watch over your children. But even more than you watch over your children, you need to be watching. You need to guard your heart. You may have friends, right? You guard your friends and your finances, but more than you guard your friends and finances, you need to guard your heart. You may guard your health and possessions, but more than that, more than your your health and your possessions, more than everything that we own, above all else, we need to guard our hearts. And God tells us. He tells us because if we lose the heart, our heart keeps everything. If it's left unguarded, our heart can be invaded and conquered. I want to make sure you get that. You may actually want to write this down. If your heart is left unguarded, it can be invaded and conquered. Think about what that means. Charles Bridges said, the heart is the citadel of man, the seat of his dearest treasure. If the citadel is taken, the whole town must surrender. And if the heart be seized, the whole man, affections, desires, motives, all will be yielded up. Do you believe that? if it's left unguarded, it can be invaded and it can be taken. That's why the second half of our verse says that everything you do flows from it. The King James Version says it's everything, the issues of life come from that. The Living Bible says everything else in your life is in the message version. Look at, this is where life starts. Your life starts with your heart, with what's in your heart. Everything about your life starts here. Everything that makes you a child of God finds its origin in your heart. A heart is vital to everything. A wound here can bring weakness everywhere. Corruption here can send pollution everywhere. Filth here can turn words into vulgarity, thoughts into obscenities, and can turn desires into the most wicked imaginings. Purity here, on the other hand, puts holiness everywhere else. Integrity here puts honesty everywhere else. So being real, being authentic, it begins in our heart. How do we do that? How do we make sure that we have guarded our heart, that we have protected it? Well, because this verse hammers home the truth. Proverbs 4 hammers home the truth of what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. The heart is the center of the spiritual life. So if a fruit tree has bad fruit, do you try to fix the fruit or do you go after the roots? If a person's actions are evil, do you just want to change the bad habits or are you trying to go deeper than that? Because if you want to go to the heart of the problem, actually what you're going after is the problem, which is the heart. How do we guard our heart? Well, the process begins right where you might expect. So your next step in your relationship with Jesus, it's in your notes when it comes to being pure in heart. Listen, you need to lift it up to God. And in a few moments, we're going to be taking communion. It's one of the times, and we do this together. You need to be doing this every day, but together. This morning, you actually get to put into practice what we're talking about. Because in Psalm 139, we read, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Now, to be clear, this isn't about lifting up our heart to God so he can know what's inside of it. He already knows. There's nothing in your heart he doesn't know about. We're lifting up our heart so that God can show us what's actually in there. The psalmist is asking God to reveal the condition of his heart to him. Reveal the condition of who I really am to me. Which, by the way, is a pretty vulnerable prayer. And my guess is that most of us know people in the world. That would not be their prayer. They do not want to be shown who they really are. But the question is, does God's church want to know the condition of our heart as God knows the condition of our heart? Because when we take communion together, that's going to be part of what we do. Here's the second. We have to clean it up. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So I'm... I just wonder, is it time to start throwing some things away? Are there, uh, is there a magazine subscription you need to get rid of? And maybe it's not even the whole subscription. Maybe it's just that one edition that comes out in the summer every year. That you need to say, not, gonna, not coming into our house. Maybe it's something you watch on TV. Maybe it's some sort of music that you listen to. Maybe it's a website that you go to. Maybe it has something to do with your credit cards. Or maybe it's your, because your mind's already gone there, and I don't even know what you're thinking, but you've already thought of this thing in your life that you're going, yeah, I've always kind of thought of that about that. Maybe it's just time to clean it up. And, you know, again, part of what happens when we reveal, we ask God to reveal our hearts to us is that he shows us that stuff. And then we have a decision to make about what we're going to do with it. Here's the third thing. It's not just enough to clean it out. We have to fill it up. It's Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? We do that by living according to your word. I think this is on your notes. You can be casually religious without filling yourself with the knowledge of God's word. But what you can't be is pure in heart. You can go to church, but you can't be pure in heart. You can sing the songs that we sing, but you can't be pure in heart if you are not living according to God's word. When you fill your eyes and when you fill your ears, you are at the same time filling your heart. So we have to be very wise about what we're filling our eyes and our ears with. I read about a little seven-year-old boy who came up to his preacher after the message, and he said, Didn't, did you say I have to ask Jesus into my heart in order to be a Christian? His pastor looked at me and said, yeah, that's what I said. And the little boy said, well, how big is Jesus anyway? And his pastor said, well, he was a carpenter. I bet he's a pretty big guy. And the little boy looked down at that ground. And he goes, yeah, that's what I thought. So, so as little as I am and as big as Jesus is, if he lived in my heart, wouldn't he stick out an awful lot? <laughs> yeah. More than you can imagine if he actually lives inside of here. He would just stick out all over the place. You know, I love that MCC is a place where we are doing our best to be real with each other. I don't think it's fair to say that we always get it right. I know it's not accurate to say we, you know, we, we blow it from time to time. 
But if you've never heard this said before, I just want to make sure you understand. Listen, you don't have to dress a certain way to come here. You don't have to use certain words to be here. You don't have to act a certain way to be welcome here. We welcome you with open arms because we want you to have the same chance that we had at one point in our lives to find out just how much God loves you and wants you to be part of his family. I love that about our church. Lura Lawson said this of the pure in heart. It's at the bottom of your notes. What they seem to be on the outside, they are all the way to the core of their being. What they seem to be on the outside, they actually are all the way to the core of their being. And I just want to say this. Your friends have to see that about us for Jesus to have any chance at all with them. Your friends have to see that what you appear to be on the outside is what you are all the way to the core of your being if Jesus will have any chance to make any difference in their life. And so we come to this time, I've mentioned communion a couple of times. We come to a time of communion right now where we get to ask God to search our hearts to reveal to us if there's something that we're missing or if there's something that we're pretty much aware of and we just need him to say, this has got to go. I cannot stay next to this. One of us does not belong here. And then we get to make that decision about who gets to stay and who gets to go. But we have to be honest about who we are. Because the cross reminds us that forgiveness is ours for the asking. All we have to do is ask for it. We don't have to beg for it. We don't have to do any tricks. We don't have to say any magic words. All we have to do is ask. And God will forgive his children. That's what encourages us to be pure in heart. That's what encourages us to be authentic. Because that brings us to the end of me and it brings you to the end of you.